Welcome everybody to the latest episode of Danton Gabby. This month we've got a big Julian Fellows roundup. First, his serialized novel and questionable app, Belgravia. And then we're going to talk about Dr. Thorne, which is a three-part series he created, which is now on Amazon. We're going to talk about Call the Midwife, which just ended its most recent season, and check in mid-season on Game of Thrones and see how we're feeling about that. This is Teresa in Brooklyn. I'm Brandy in Los Angeles. And I'm Shannon in Oakland. Okay, guys, I'm really liking Belgravia. It's a really interesting story. But could he have paid $200 more for a better app? It's just... Cool enough to keep me interested, but shitty enough to keep me enraged. Why can't I bookmark things? Why can't it remember me if I'm signing in from device to device? Why can't it remember that I'm listening to the audio version and not make me switch every episode to audio every single time while I'm trying to drive, Julian? Are you trying to kill me? Now, have you guys downloaded the latest update of the Belgravia app? I'm not defending this piece of shit at all, but... I just want to say, if you download the most recent update, it does fix a few of the problems that um, have been totally enraging me, but... I mean, he made a lot of money off Downton. He could have <laughs> made a better app. I mean, so I've listened to the audio and I've read it. I don't know if you guys have done both. So the reading is pretty cool because then there's mm-hmm. those hyperlink things and you click on it and you get like a character description or like, oh, this was the invention of afternoon tea. And it, that's really interesting. And then I also like the audio because I think the woman reading it is really good. Juliet Stevenson is really good, although I will say that having listened to... So now, as we're saying, the seven of the 11 episodes are out. And I'm I'm midway through the seventh one. So I've listened to like eight hours of this or something because a lot of them are over an hour long. And you realize how much Julian repeats himself by having characters tell each other information that the reader already knows and you're like get on with it and the thing when you're listening is you just have to listen you can't like speed read through it so there's a scene in the seventh episode where there's these characters who go through basically summarizing everything that's already happened in the whole six episodes like I guess in case you just start on episode seven but I was in my car like gripping the wheel like I know I already know this you know, I was feverish when I listened to episode seven, so I may not have noticed that. I really enjoy listening to it. I don't listen to audiobooks in general, but I find that this story is really helped by Juliet Stevenson's reading and the different characters she plays. And she's, I mean, I think she's very good juggling mm-hmm. all these different accents. and Oh, and ages. And I mean, it's a lot. I was like, this is really a talent. It's good. And it, to me, it feels also more like a show. Absolutely. I have overall found it very satisfying. Which makes me wonder whether, I know that this is going to come out as a full novel, a paper novel, um, when it's all done. And I'm wondering if we think it's going to become another series. It's really different than Downton. I, you know, so in the beginning, there's this young woman who's beautiful in her 20s and she's gallivanting around town. And I was like, oh, okay, I know this story. Got it. She's a Mary. Got it. And then the story just takes a totally different turn. And it was like, oh, he he can write other things in Downton. Okay. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I was just expecting it to be like, oh, now we'll just follow, follow Edith for a book, basically. But it's really different characters. I wouldn't say any of the characters really feel like, like there's no Dowager. You know, there doesn't feel like there's characters that are just foils of ones we've already seen. Except for Ellis, the lady's maid. 
Oh yeah. Oh she's yeah. She's got a bit of a she's got the touch of the O'Brien in her. A touch of the O'Brien. Touch of the O'Brien. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, but overall the it has been striking to me that the um downstairs type characters in this one are not very prominent or developed because it really is more upper class versus middle class, which has been interesting. And I think I think we're purposefully not giving too much away about the actual plot because there are some really good twists in those first couple episodes, chapters, whatever you want to call them. And I think I would recommend that people go in without knowing a lot about the plot and just kind of go with the ride. Yeah, there's a lot of twists and turns, really good spoilery stuff. And I, I you know, I was driving the car gasping. And that's a really fun feeling. I was driving the car and every time a certain character would say something snooty to another character, I was like, this bitch, <laughs> like out loud in the car. <laughs> so that's when I knew I was really into it is when I was actually calling characters bitches. <laughs> I was totally at the stoplight and this person was like, you know, this dude was like blasting his bass and I almost wanted to roll down my windows and be like, I will say one thing about the characters, which is I don't feel like they're super complex and I don't feel like they've developed or changed in any way since the beginning. Like I, I'm really enjoying this. I'm totally enjoying listening to it, but there is some, some, some way in which I wonder, will people who we think are not so nice end up being cool? And will people who we think are cool end up being not so nice or anything like that? Cause it seems pretty static well even like one of the characters who's kind of the villain in the beginning you know the description of her is like well she's cold and snooty but she's not unkind or you know dishonest and it's like well come on then what's the point yeah I, I don't know and I will say like I mean these you could read them very quickly I mean this really will when it's done and all in print be more of a novella than a novel so it is very plot driven rather than character arc driven. You're right. And there are some characters I think where it's more like peeling back layers than full character development. As far as them changing, it's more like discovering depth that maybe you wouldn't know was there because of their station in life or whatever. Um, but it's interesting that you say like, Oh, nobody's really good or nobody's really bad because when Julian does his little, um, introduction and closing for the episodes of Dr. Thorne, he says that's one of the reasons why he likes Anthony Trollope so much is because not everybody's good or bad. But you can have characters like that, but some these are almost too much that where they could tend towards the boring. Yeah, well, our main romantic hero is certainly very boring. Yeah. (laughs) And they keep being like, he's such a dashing young man, and I'm like, is he? Yeah, he, he is a snooze, yeah. such a snooze. Yeah, which is a bit Super of a problem. Snooze, yeah. yeah, And and if, if there are any Outlander fans out there, it reminds me very much of William, young William, who is the military officer that has grown up with Lord John Gray. And it's the same thing. He's like this dashing sort of center of the action. And he is the most fucking boring thing in that whole story. So there is that. That's a problem. But I guess my problem isn't that there's not too many, there's not like really good or really bad. It's just, I don't feel like these characters are going to grow or change in any way. They're just going to deal with the plot and make it through this, the plot issues. Which makes you really appreciate Downton. 
Because what did we love most about it? It wasn't the plots. Dear God, it wasn't the plots. <laughs> Hashtag Brothgate. <laughs> it was the characters. Yeah. Matthew was an amazing romantic lead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mary, Edith, the Dowager. Yeah, this guy. Yeah. This guy is no Matthew. No. That's yeah. No. No, no, that's right. I think in the final season of Downton Abbey, we talked a lot about how the characters had evolved throughout. And Mm -hmm. um, what I'm wondering is if it does get adapted into some kind of TV series version, depending on who they cast, they might be able to give the characters a lot more depth through the acting. Yeah, I do think in particular, um, Anne Trenchard, without giving away like who she is, just saying... She could be a really great character in the hands of the right actress. And it is really her family's uh, stakes that are at the core of everything. I get the, I guess the problem is, is I'm not convinced that if the bad things that might happen to them actually happen, that it would really be all that bad. You know who I imagine playing her? And I just want to know if you guys agree. I see her as a Laura Linney. Oh, I can see that. Yeah. Sure. After years of introducing Down Abbey, she should get an actual part. <laughs> I didn't think about that. Oh my god. Laura Linney with brown hair though. I think she really needs to have brown hair. That's just my yeah. thing. I, yeah. Do you think like Laura that. Linney has just been announcing Down Abbey just so she can get in Julian Fellow's next project? <laughs> She's like, if I just announce it every week. Paul Giamatti could play her husband. They could do a little John Adams reunion. He would be perfect. He would yeah. be perfect as the husband. Yeah, they would have yes. a little reunion and that would be cool. He's in everything, so that makes sense. I wouldn't mind this being turned into a series. It does bring to mind the fact that a part, a big part of the appeal of these kinds of stories is the setting and the costumes and everything. So that missing that layer does take away from it. You know, even though I like this kind of literature all the time, both stuff is contemporary to the era and a throwback, uh, because Julian is such a serialized TV kind of guy, I can't help but thinking, like, I kind of wish it already was a series. And speaking of literature, let's talk a little bit about Dr. Thorne. So, Brandy, you and I have seen the first episode, so what did you think? I thought it was enjoyable. Obviously, the cast seems great. I don't know many of the people, except for obviously, you know, bow down to Ian McShane. And then uh, Lady Susan shows yes. up <laughs> as a new character. I was like, how do I know your sour face? Yeah. Oh, you're Lady Rose's mom. <laughs> yep. That was nice. Um, and Tom Hollander. Yeah, and Tom Hollander as the titular Dr. Thorne, although there's multiple Dr. Thorns, so maybe he's not the titular one. Who knows? Um, (laughs) I think it's not as deep as some other stuff from that era, so I wonder why this is the one he chose to um, adapt, even out of Anthony Trollope. You know, in the intro, he sort of says, no one's ever made this one before, and watching it, I'm like, maybe I know why. It seems a little shallow. But it's only four episodes long, so why not watch and enjoy? Yeah. Did you did you guys think he was channeling like a sort of an Alistair Cook thing, introducing the um, sitting next show? Of course, sitting in his chair whatever. <laughs> by the fireplace. I love it. I'm like, if you're gonna be Julian Fellows, then fucking <laughs> no, be he Julian is Fellows, so right? Julian Fellows. Oh, I have to tell you that. My fellow was sitting here next to me, and he thought that he reminded him more of the narrator from Rocky Horror. Um, so of course we we had to call up Rocky Horror on YouTube immediately to check and yes he is absolutely right (laughs) 
No, but like Julian Fellows is so Julian Fellows-ish. I can't even believe it. The funniest part to me of the intro is when he acts as if this is really a departure for him. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That's pretty great. Well, like, Anthony Trollope oh, is, he is kind of like the bastard child of Victorian literature. I mean, it is always Dickens and Austen that get adapted, not Trollope. I love The Way We Live Now. That's the only novel I've read of Trollope. But he is a little racier. Yeah, I, I loved him. I haven't read in a long time, but I read the, that series in, in college, Barchester Towers and all of that. And yeah, I think he's great, for sure. I just, I don't know if this adaptation feels like it has a lot of gravitas to it it's kind of just a lark and that's fine i think i think there's a place for that for sure and also allison brie shows up as the token american and her eyes are so big and blue it's just great <laughs> um you know what i really love about the production design all the women wearing fresh flowers in their hair it's yes. so pretty i really love it i have to assume that that's an accurate fashion thing of the time he did say it was in the there's an interview with him at Entertainment Weekly, which I will post. Um, but he said the flower crowns, you know, pre Coachella, you know, that they were <laughs> a trend during that time. Can I say also, I don't know if we've ever mentioned this on the podcast or if I even knew that although Julian Fellows's professional name has never changed legally, his last name is hyphenated with his wife's. Cool. They changed their names together. Aww. And I just want to give a little shout out to him for that because not many men of his generation have done that. That's true. It's very cool. That's that is nice. very cool. What do you do you know what their new last name is? So his full name is Julian Alexander Kitchener Fellows, Baron Fellows of West Stratford. <laughs> wow. Sounds about right. So, yep. Yes, they both have the hyphenated last name Kitchener Fellows. Cool. So I like that. Is she like a Good famous you, Kitchener or something? Does that help with his status? <laughs> I have to ask. She was a lady-in-waiting to Her Royal Highness Princess Michael of Kent, and she is a great-grandniece of Herbert First Earl Kitchener. Okay, yes. well, there you go. So, yeah, maybe he just hyphenated because she had the fancier, more famous last name, but I'm still going to give him that, those points. Sure, why not? <laughs> Why not? It's like the, the Marie Curie's husband who took the name Curie also. So we're really enjoying both of these. We're wondering if you're all uh, either listening to or reading Belgravia or watching Dr. Thorne, we'd love to hear from you and hear what you think about them. So shoot us some uh, posts on Facebook or Twitter and uh, let us know. Well, we know you guys are all watching Call the Midwife because we all love Call the Midwife. So the season finale was last night. I'm still drying my tears. Oh, I get so dehydrated watching that show. I mean, we're going to talk about Game of Thrones, but I'll just say, like, everybody on Twitter was freaking out about what happened on Game of Thrones and how tragic it was. And I flip over to Call the Midwife, and I'm, like, bawling way more at everything that happened oh, yeah. on there. This show is relentless this season. It's gone really dark in a really good way. That show has a huge fan base. And if you're on Twitter while the show is on, there are like super, super active tweeters, including the people who post GIF after GIF of people crying really hard. <laughs> <laughs> so in the world of Call the Midwife, they are really representing. And uh, There was something about the scene of everyone sitting on the stairs, all the nurses crying together oh. over Sister Evangelina that felt a little like this is going to be like the gif. Yeah. 
there there are a lot of gifts of sadness in Inside Out, just like crying and crying and crying and crying. I just I didn't even suspect. I'll just say because it's not unlike any show or this show to have a prominent death at the end of the season, but I just didn't suspect because I was so happy on the previous episode to see Sister Evangelina return, and then. I don't know. It was just so cruel of them. Oh, I know. They're so fucking with our emotions. But, you know, I, I do have a... I, I do feel like ever since Nurse Crane showed up... And, by the way, I love Nurse Crane, and she's a great character. Oh, she's the best. Isn't she? So good. But she and, she and Sister Evangelina kind of operate in the same character yeah. space. Um, yeah. So it did seem like they couldn't both keep, you know, being prominent. One of them had to go. I did feel like the the whole of Nanata's house felt a little crowded this season. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of people didn't get enough storyline because there's just a lot of them now. And we've got like a lot of stuff going on with the doctor and his family too and Fred and his wife. It was just like, you know, I'm not surprised that they're paring the characters down a little bit, (laughs) but it was still particularly um, Sister Monica Jones' reaction to it was just heartbreaking. Well, I can't believe she's still alive. You know? <laughs> I mean, to be honest. They've threatened to kill that character off like three times. Yeah. It never happens. She, they always use her as a fake out. <laughs> she didn't have pneumonia this season or wander off. So I guess she's got another season in her. But yeah, Sister Evangelina. I just, I loved her no nonsense. And I mean, I did think it was a little exaggerated. That it's like, I told her to breastfeed and she couldn't. So I have to go into silence. It's like... Girl, you just gave some bad advice. It's fine. That was weird. That was a weird misstep, I think. But anyway, did she go off to do a movie or something? I couldn't figure out why they had gotten rid of her. No, if you've noticed this, every season, one character goes away for a while. I mean, I was telling Sean, I'm like, can they not afford to, like, pay all these actors (laughs) for the whole season? Because people are always going away for, like, part of the season. One or two characters. It's just too crowded. What do um, English actors just feel like making like eight episodes is just too much? Because this happened on Downton Abbey, two people quitting. I'm like, you've only made, you've, you're quitting three seasons into Downton Abbey. You've made fewer episodes than like one season of American TV. (laughs) Like, buckle up, guys. Let's, let's stick with the ride for a little longer. So let's talk about some of the storylines this season because they were really, really great. Well, the big one was the Thalidomite babies. Yeah. You know, this is really interesting. This is the first time that we've seen this show really go after something political and historical. And I don't know if you guys watched after uh, the finale where it's the, the creator when she's talking about it. And she was like, we could not talk about it. And I thought they handled it really well. Mm hmm. Really well, I would say. I, I wasn't surprised that they tackled it, but I was uh, not prepared for it. because. And this is something I've read about historically, too, so I should have connected that we were in the right timeline, and of course they would have to have this storyline at some point. But the first reveal, I just gasped and started like sobbing, because this is really one of the great medical tragedies of all time. Yeah. And... I thought it was really classy of them storytelling wise to keep bringing back the same couple of moms, mm-hmm. which usually they don't do. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so I thought that was a really nice way for them to emphasize the seriousness of this, that it wasn't just a one-off episode thing. It was a true through line for the whole series, the whole series. Yes. To use the British parlance. 
And particularly, it was a major thing for the doctor as well. I mean, I love that actor so much, but his guilt when he realizes that he prescribed it and that he caused this and seeing Mm -hmm. him grapple with that was like, you don't often think about the doctors in that situation. You think, oh, these poor parents. But it's like, here is this man who trusts medicine and trusts science and he trusted it and he prescribed it and... And, you know, he was just shaken to his core. It was just really beautiful. Yep. And the actor's name, by the way, is Stephen McGann, just to give him props. Oh, he's been really, really great this season. And uh, I think just the scene where Sheila was trying to figure out how she could even tell him Mm -hmm. was just some of their finest acting since when they got engaged in the rain. (laughs) I loved them this whole season. (laughs) I even loved the camping stuff. I loved it. Oh, the camping stuff. <laughs> you would love the camping His stuff. His shorts and socks and sandals. Oh, my God. Oh. More camping, less gypsies. The gypsy boat was... What? Isn't this like the fourth time we've had gypsies oh who don't want medical care on this show? I I worry about the repetition of some of the storylines. We didn't have an interracial couple this season, so I guess they retired that one for a season. But. Well, I wish they would have more of that, and those could be characters who could be recurring, and that would be great because, you know, you could we could use some real diversity on the show for sure. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I just, again, like, that's one of the faults of the show, I think, is when they try to tackle... an entire community of people in these one-off episodes and you never get to see the same characters more than once or really dive deep into it. So I think that's why I was frustrated with that storyline this time is because we're not going to learn anything new. It's just going to be the same kind of conflict we've already seen with, you know, different communities who resist the medical care of the nurses. Right. Well, going back to the the Little Mite storyline, I also thought it was really well handled of when Sister Julian is at the hospital. And, you know, they leave the baby out to die in the cold window. And, you know, that could have gotten really preachy. It could have gotten really pro-life preachy and she's a nun. And it wasn't that. It was just, like, basic human decency. And it Mm -hmm. was, like, so simple and so beautiful and so deep. And I loved it. You know, that's a really hard line to walk. I think there was a lot of storylines this season where there was a really tough line to walk and it could have easily gone too much in one direction and I thought they really they were very sophisticated in the stance that they took on things they also did the same thing with the storyline about introducing the pill which is becoming Mm -hmm. legal in some circumstances and I feel like that's something we're going to see more of next season because it was kind of a late-breaking addition uh but that was another great, great moment for Sister Julianne, obviously. Jenny Agater is a phenomenal veteran actress, and this is, like, a great role for her. We've always praised her. Um, this was really interesting because you could see how their roles as nuns were finally coming into, like, a real conflict with their roles as medical practitioners. We've never seen her and the doctor disagree, and that was a tense scene for me to watch because it was like they you know they will go will go deliver prostitutes babies we don't judge you know they're almost been a little too non-judgy but then it's like you introduce this thing where it's like but we don't believe in sex before marriage you know and, and that's that is, where the tension comes it's very it's interesting. a very fine line to walk and i think you know if you've grown up in with any sort of religious people or having been you know raised religious before you know 
figuring out that you're not actually. Um, it, it, there is that fine line between love the sinner, uh, hate the sin, and then, but you also can't endorse the sin before it's happened kind of a thing. So, oh, you, you've, you have sinned, that's fine, we can deal with that. But to cause a sin in some way is much worse than a sin that's already happened in a weird, twisted kind of way. And just watching um, the minister, Tom, you know, sitting there and he's supposed to be giving the sort of Christian viewpoint and he really doesn't have anything to say, which is sort of interesting because he and Barbara can barely keep it in their pants at this point. Yeah. Oh my God, that was like a weirdly hot makeout scene oh, with them. Seriously? The, you know, the Brill cream. No, they have really good chemistry. Him and Trixie never had chemistry, mm-hmm. but him and Barbara have a lot of chemistry. Yeah, I, I do love them together, and I especially love it as a evidence that just putting two hot people together isn't magic chemistry, because, yeah, she is cute, but she's not Trixie, but she's way sexier with him than Trixie ever was, just because they just go together. Something about them just goes together. Yeah, yeah they're, they're like burning up the screen. And then I love that little moment where Barbara is talking to Nurse Crane, and Nurse Crane like completely offhandedly mentions this affair she had with... <laughs> oh my god. Uh, someone in during the war and then just sort of drives off and she just leaves Barbara sitting there and you can see like every wheel in her head is now turning I can't remember the exact line but when she says that he ended up dying in the war and she's like I never regretted seizing the moment or whatever Mm -hmm. it was yeah oh nurse crane is the best they've had a really (laughs) nice friendship she but nurse crane is like so great because they have they have really fought pigeonholing her into anyone's stereotype you know, like she comes in and she's sort of bossy and really sort of anal, but she's also taking the Spanish lessons and she has that. Yeah, I love the Spanish classes. Yeah, so much. and that you know flirtation with Mr. Mason and. Um, <laughs> I do, and I love the way that then when another older gentleman spied her, uh, the inept doctor who was there for that one episode. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. She wanted nothing to do with him. So it wasn't just, oh, it's flattering to receive the attention of a man at at any at that age. It really was, here's an interesting situation that she's interested in, and here's a guy who needs to hit the road. You know, the same as you would treat any sort of female character who was younger and more attractive. I just, I love that they did both things this season. It was really subtle and it was really nice. This show has an incredible amount of respect for its older female characters. I, I can't actually think of another show that um, does that except maybe Downton no. Abbey in its prime. I was going to say, except Downton. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the Brits just get it. Yeah, maybe there's other British shows that do it and they just don't air them in the US maybe we could just be in a sea of retired women having great adventures if we lived in the UK I just feel like the show embodies sisterhood more than anything else and not just because they're nuns but it's really about women supporting women on all levels professionally, personally you know, I'm not going to judge you because you're having this baby way you know, and I I just love it. I just feel like maybe this is what people expect when they join a sorority and then they're just rudely awakened to what that actually is. But this is what it should be like, is living in Nanata's house. I I was thinking about this as I was watching the last episode and thinking, you know, I won't be able to watch it again for a little while until next season. Thankfully, it's so popular that it keeps getting more and more seasons. Um, It's so compelling to see all of these women together, we haven't even touched on half the storylines from the season, particularly Cynthia's big moment. 
Um, oh my god, we've got to give her an Emmy right now. Just give her the guest star. What Emmy happened to her was so awful, and yet that those few scenes were so good. I was like, finally, they gave this actress her moment. Oh yeah, <laughs> she was so good. I mean, so when good. she just when when she's just going, I wasn't raped. I wasn't raped, and it was like. I feel like only a show that really honors women would just say, if you're talking to other women, that's the first thing that they're thinking. And you just have to, that's the first thing you'd say more than anything is just don't worry. That didn't happen. Yeah. I'm really fucked up. And that scene where Monica Joan, sister Monica Joan bathes her is like, I could just say waterworks. I could just start, you know, crying. But I just feel like this show is obviously written by women for women. It just gets it. Yeah, and what I was going to say is, like, we're obviously we're talking about a very specific slice of women in a very specific historical time, but there are so many stories that they've told, season after season, different relationships, different intergenerational stuff going on, that there's just, there are a thousand different kinds of shows you could do with just women. And mm-hmm. I, I, you know, and especially um, there's a movie that's going to be coming out called Hidden Figures that's about um, the... African-American women who were mathematicians for NASA back in the day. And I'm just like, I'm glad it's going to be a movie. You could do a whole series about that. Like, exactly the same way that you can do a series about midwives in Poplar in the 60s. You could do a show about that, too, uh, just as one example. Every time they show one of the, like, Indian immigrant characters who they have had come through, I think, I want to see the spinoff about how those women are coping with being immigrants at this time. You could do a whole show about that. Uh, and and those, that's great. And I, I just, I don't know. If you're out there, if you're a person who makes TV, you know, I would watch any of those shows too. So one really disappointing thing about this season was the fact that the whole um, Patsy and Delia storyline didn't really go anywhere. Um, I know we were so excited that Delia was going to move into Nanata's house and all the possibilities plot-wise, and it didn't really go anywhere. Well, they went to that club. That was it. They got sort of a just-don't-bring-scandal-upon-me kind of a thing, reluctant, quote-unquote, acceptance from Delia's mom, but not that I want there to be, you know, they're outed and they're scandal or this or that, but I think... We really liked their little love story before Delia's accident, and it's weird that they haven't been able to get back into that. I don't even really believe that they're in love with each other anymore. We never see them having any sort of conversation that's not just them bickering about whether they're going to go to the lesbian bar or not. So, (laughs) I don't know. Maybe because they live in the same place now, it's not as difficult. No I don't know. I wanted I, them I to live in their cute little apartment together. I know. It just really was kind of nipped in the bud and then kind of died. I think that was, yeah, I think this was evidence that that really was a big mistake story-wise to do the tragic lesbian thing and almost kill uh-huh. De- Delia. At least they didn't actually kill her. Yeah, but But now it's like, they oh, we didn't kill her, so we don't know what to do. <laughs> it's a little sad. A little sad, but Patsy always looks great. Patsy is so hot. She's smoking oh my hot. God. She's amazing. <sighs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You just did like this sound, Therese. That was, was kind of intense. And the other snoozy storyline, of course, was Trixie's continued 
AA meeting alcoholism oh thing. Oh my you know? god. Speaking of this show not being judgy about certain things, why are they so judgy about her having like a Campari? I don't I don't understand this storyline. I know I just when I would bring people drinks and I put cherries in their drinks and it was so sad and I was like, what? You were really fun. And now you just work out and you cry about a, a guy that wasn't even good for you. And you've just stopped living. She's like a spinster. She's like the old maid card. And she's... Why? She used to be super fun. I don't know. I know I've said this before, but her downfall was like one time she slept through a shift. I'm like, that's the worst yeah. thing you've ever done in your life? Um, but I, I will say, okay, I, I know where I want to see Trixie go. And this was really emerging for me in the last couple of episodes. Because I think there were some hints... There were some situations she had to deal with medically where she was just really good and people commented on like her skill and I really want Trixie to go to medical school. Yes. 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 Like, and she had this whole monologue with Nurse Crane at the end where she was like, I just want to know where I fit in and it doesn't have to be because of a man. And I was like, Trixie, you don't need a man to accept you. You need to go into a fucking medical school and prove that you are just as good as a man. That's what you need. So she needs to go on Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. <laughs> though she is total doctor material that is an excellent idea brandy that's what i really want to see because i just feel like ever since her personal storylines have fallen away there being all these hints that she's just like maybe people don't notice that she's the best at her job because she's just a pretty face but she is she's the best out of all of them yeah mm -hmm. she, she never fucks up she never fucks up except that one time <laughs> yeah what one time when she slept through her shift Oh, and they will never forget it. Stop <laughs> slut shaming, Therese. <laughs> no, I loved. Look, I Lush love Trixie. Shaming, I guess it is. <laughs> I I love shaming her. I love Trixie. I think she's fabulous, and I think Helen George is so fabulous playing her. Um, it would that would be a great storyline for her to go to medical school. I would fully embrace that for her future. She doesn't need a boyfriend. Absolutely she doesn't need not. a boyfriend. She needs to become a doctor. All right. And last but not least, let's do a quick check-in with Game of Thrones, which um, I think one of the reasons we really want to talk about Game of Thrones is because the female characters have really been rocking the storylines this season. Um, Sansa is in charge. <laughs> she is amazing. I never thought I would love her so much. I'm just cheering every time she's on screen. Well, she's in charge of her storyline. Instead of having everyone run it for her and, you know, hearkening back to the conversation we had about her wedding night, you know, and about the rape storyline that a lot of other people were offended by and were kind of like, I don't know, it's kind of good in some ways because this is going to teach her to not be so afraid and to take power and all these things. And then her monologue to Baelish, it totally proved that. You know, I mean, yeah, we're not saying use rape as a storyline, but in this case, it did, it did build her into the leader that she's becoming. Yeah, I do think, you know, we defended that storyline because it didn't feel unnatural in the course of things that were happening. It didn't feel like, you know, she's walking down a dark alley and it came out of nowhere. It really was the kind of thing that happens to most women on their wedding night, and she's a, a, the kind of woman who be, would be used as a pawn. It has been several times, right? Um, and so to see her sort of grow and be like, I'm not a pawn anymore, even to the point where she's, it's not just she found her brother and now she's safe with him for a while. She's the one having to convince him 
to go forth and take back what's theirs. I love that. Yeah, she said, I'll do it without you. You know, she is finally Queen of the North. She's finally a Stark. You know, she started the series being kind of ashamed that she was a Stark. She wanted to be more refined like the Lannisters, and she's like, fuck them, the North remembers. I also love that she's going to be going to try to reunite with the Tullys because there was something about just the way she was dressed and carrying herself in the last episode where it was like, oh, she's finally her mother's daughter. I totally, that's crazy. Because I was looking at her and I was like, I just feel like I'm seeing Caitlyn Stark so much. It's like, did she just, as the actress, just start to embody her because, or maybe it's because Littlefinger was there. I don't know, but I just. They had her dressed in those furs. I think the fur she was wearing, I think it was very intentional. Um, but it super worked for me because it felt like, you know, on both sides of her family, she's finally growing into her heritage. She is the oldest legitimate child now. Mm-hmm. And she should be doing this after everything that's happening to her. And hearing her talk about herself in the past and feeling mad at herself for being naive and for going to King's Landing and everything else, you know. I love that she's got a fucking grudge and she's not going to let it go. She's like a dog with a bone now. It's going to be fantastic. Um, and and I love I love the fact that Brienne is now, you know, pledged to her officially mm-hmm. that she's accepted Brienne. That whole speech where where Brienne kneels in front of her and does the whole speech that she's dedicating herself to Sansa and then Sansa has the words she has to say mm-hmm. to Brienne and I love that scene so much. I do love that that feels like the last time we saw any kind of uncertainty in Sansa, too. Like, she hasn't stumbled over a word since she had to remember the words to those that pledge. Well, her life hasn't been governed by rules or tradition in a really long time. She's been in survival mode, so I think it was almost like hearkening back to a time she barely remembers. You know, seeing women say oaths to each other, how often does that happen? And... Uh, that's probably something we love about Call the Midwife is they do make little oaths to each other here and there. Even just like, we're going to get through this. I'm going to sit here with you till you do. And um, it was really powerful seeing that scene of them doing the oaths to each other. And for someone finally honoring Brienne of what she brings to the table. Well, Tormund's going to honor her all through the night. Oh, he's going to honor her all night That's That's just been so funny this is the best meme and honestly watching people use that meme over the last two weeks on twitter to like cope with their pain about other storylines has been honestly like the community of game of thrones watchers is having a lot of fun this season i think now that the book watchers have sort of like they have to shut up because they don't know what's gonna happen (laughs) yeah 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 (laughs) there's less of a like us and them thing and more of a just like communal pain and and happiness happening also i will say that now that um martin is no longer in control of the story it just keeps getting better and better as far as i'm concerned and more streamlined and i i think that the tv version is just better generally speaking and i'm glad i don't know what's happening next i enjoy watching it more not knowing the story Sometimes I read, you know, what would be happening in the books at this point, and it's like, oh, these, all these characters are still alive, and yes, I do think it's ridiculous how many people they've killed off or whatever. I read something that said that, um, like, I read something that said that Mance Raider's still alive in the books and stuff, and even though I liked him, it's like, where would we even put him at this point? Like, what would be, I don't understand, and all these characters are not together, like, 
people are so delighted about Brienne and Tormund because they literally would never even meet in the books. I'm like, yeah, that this the show is choppy enough as it is. That's my only complaint about this season so far is that every episode kind of feels like just checking in on five different storylines and there's not really much of a contained arc per episode. Yeah, it's like, you know what it reminds me of? Of those, um, like... Christmas advent calendars where you just open them and it's like little windows, <laughs> but they don't necessarily go together. And that's what I feel like. It's like, no, we're opening the Aria window. It has nothing to yeah, do no. with the Daenerys window that I'm enjoying all of them. Well, those have chocolate in them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they'll tell the story of Jesus of Nazareth. <laughs> that, if Game of Thrones ends up being just a Jesus story. Okay, we're getting punchy, so... <laughs> I'm really interested in Yara up at, you know, with the Greyjoys. I'm interested in Yara now that they're leaving the Iron Islands. And I'm like, are they going to go through with their plan to, like, maybe they'll try to get to Daenerys first. Yeah. Maybe. You know, like, that does interest me. That is very interesting. I want to see Yara and Tyrion in a room together. (laughs) Well, and I'm interested in Mira. She's, you know, the only one taking care of Bran right now. Right. Right. With the whole Hodor... Thing. That that was clever, and yet I know I, my mind wasn't quite as blown as a lot of people on Twitter. I don't know. There was a cheese factor that I feel like people were not uh, acknowledging, and maybe it's only if you watched the very last season of Six Feet Under. But as he was like slurring his words, hold the door into Hodor. I was just thinking of Nate Fisher having his seizure at the end where numb arm becomes narm until he falls on the ground. Um, no one's getting that. If you're listening and you get that reference, now I've ruined Hodor for you forever by comparing those two scenes. Well, I think people were just shocked that he met his end because he's a really beloved, he's a beloved character and... It's interesting, like, the whole, like, how Bran actually fucked him up in the end. I think that's, that's interesting. That did interest me, because now I'm like, oh, warging into the past can affect the present or whatever. Like, guys, I miss King's Landing being fun. I miss Marjorie looking pretty. I mean, everybody's just, like, fucking dirty. I really miss Marjorie. It's so boring. Bring out the glitz. Remember when small council meetings were, like, the funniest, like, shade-throwing of all time? Let's bring back Joffrey and Tywin. My God, it's like Dowersville. Yeah. Let's make King's Landing great again. (laughs) (laughs) Throw a fucking wedding. Put on some pretty clothes. Do your hair. It's just like, God. There was one scene that sort of hinted that Marjorie might be, like, about to join the High Sparrow or whatever. And I was like, this cannot happen. And then I I don't think they're going to go there because after that, you know, she met with Loras and she seems to be trying to come up with a fake double cross kind of a thing. But, yeah, I just feel like every time they flash there, it's kind of like a sigh rather than me feeling excited to see what's going to happen next. And, you know, the last couple episodes, God knows what's going on with the people in Dorne, you know. Uh, we, it, 
is getting more compressed with the characters, but I think it needs to happen a little faster. People need to actually get in at least on the same fucking continent with each other. And let's get Arya away from fighting with that stick. No more stick fighting. I hate that little bitch with the stick. Oh, she is so no much. hound. She is no hound. I really miss the days of her traipsing around with the hound. Even the, you know, fucking hottie with the no face is like not even doing it for me at this point because he's walking around in rags. It's terrible. The costumes have really gone downhill. A man has no hotness. What happened to your hotness? A man has no hotness. A man has no hotness. All right. Well, we're really looking forward to seeing where things go. Sansa's going to take the north. It's going to be amazing. What are your one fabulous things? What else are you imbibing right now? All right. I will start. I just want to say that The Good Wife had its final episode a couple Mm. weeks ago. It is now over. The last episode was so horrible and so (laughs) annoying. (laughs) I'm going to try and ignore it and just remember the other 623 episodes (laughs) through its run (laughs) because it was truly a great show. Um, The other thing I'm watching is Outlander and I kind of like it, but I didn't really like the second book that much, so... That's a storytelling problem, which I think is reflected in season two. But I will say that the casting is great and the production design is absolutely exquisite. I've never seen anything so beautiful as the costumes and the sets and um, just the way that everything is being shot um, this season. It's absolutely amazing. So those of you who are watching Outlander, um, let me know what you're thinking of this season. I have been watching The Americans which we've talked about many times, but holy shit this season. And Elizabeth Jennings, Carrie Russell. You didn't even think she could get any better. And she is just eating the wallpaper. Wait, what is it called? Eating the scenery. She's just eating the scenery in every scene. She's amazing. It is a (laughs) crime that she's Chewing, chewing. Oh, God. Except she's not. She's kind of doing the opposite. Because chewing the scenery is like John Travolta and... People versus OJ. She's being very subtle. No, you're right. She's very subtle. And it's just becoming more and more a crime that neither of them have nominated for Emmys because she is amazing. And the writing is top notch. Her performance, there's not much better on TV right now. So, and the wigs. If you need a reason, it's always the wigs. Has she really never even been nominated? Neither of them. I wow. nor the show at all actually has been nominated, and it it's is crazy so to me. brilliant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna do a little preemptive fabulous thing because uh, by the time we record again next month, we will be several episodes into season two of Unreal, mm. and uh, I just I'm just confident that it's gonna be great. So I'm just gonna <laughs> say my countdown to Unreal at this point is uh, is my fabulous thing because that will be the show. That will, you know, get me through the summer while everything else is, uh, is, is in reruns. I also want to give a shout out to an article that was on Vulture last week that was a defense of the seriousness of Grey's Anatomy that was like, did you write this from my diary? <laughs> I mean, like, A, I'm not surprised Therese brought up The Good Wife and I'm not surprised you're bringing up this article. <laughs> like, if I was going to write, like, what I think you guys were going to talk about, I would have quoted these things. So just go for it. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, I've, I've said on the show, I've tweeted, I've talked to anyone on the street corner who will listen. My defense of Meredith Grey as one of the great protagonists on TV of all time. She should be up there with the anti-heroes like Tony Soprano and Walter White. But of course, because she's on a soap, she doesn't get the same kind of uh, credit. And Ellen Pompeo is just, she's just been fabulous in the post-Derek era dealing with this grief. I just... Uh, and this article was wasn't even just about that. It was also about the actual like hospital as a setting through the years and how it has changed. And I was just like, you know, I, I was just applauding while I was reading this. And it was written by a man, so maybe people will listen. Uh, so <laughs> seek that article out. Watch Grey's Anatomy. If you used to like it, there's no reason why you shouldn't be watching it now. I don't understand people who are like, oh, it used to be good, but now it sucks. It's still good. Just watch it. Just watch it. I couldn't end on a stronger note. Just watch The Americans. Just watch right. it. Just just watch Outlander and Good Wife in reruns for the next 10 years. Uh, so next month, we're going to have a very special guest, my good friend Karen Draper. Uh, I won't tell you where to find her on Tumblr because I don't know if I'm allowed to do that. But you will need to trust me that she is an expert on the topic we're going to explore, which is teen literature and teen shows so basically thinking about why certain stories about young women still appeal to older women and why that is a genre in and of itself and why we might feel attached to it no matter how old we get so if you want to tweet us or post on facebook what your favorite teen shows or ya novels are we would love to mention some of those in the next show and that'll be coming out you um, in late June. Okay, thanks everyone for tuning in to this episode of Downton Gabby. You can find us on Facebook at Downton Gabby. You can find us on Twitter at Downton Gabby. And you can find us on Tumblr at DowntonGabby.tumblr.com. We'd love to hear from you. Give us a shout. And we will see you next month. Bye. Bye.